Hello and welcome to the Tell People You Love Them podcast. My name is Rahul Joshi and today I'm joined by Margot Bellin. She is the co-founder and executive director of Bridging Tech. Margot, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm glad, glad you're here. Um, so let's jump right in. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and what is Bridging Tech? Sure thing. Um, so I'm Margot. It's a pleasure to be here. I am from the Bay Area, which is actually from where I know Rahul. And I am a French American who's grown up in a really lovely, diverse place. And the Bay Area was a wonderful place to grow up. It had, you know, the nicest parts of life. And then it also had um, this homelessness crisis on the streets of San Francisco um, and grew up seeing that all the time. Um, and then I went to Stanford where I studied biology and feminist studies and was exposed to the homelessness crisis again through volunteer work at different shelters that I, that I worked at. And uh, Bridging Tech is, I would say, like kind of a summary of my life experiences in that way. Um, it is a nonprofit that's focused on addressing the digital divide among people who are affected by homelessness, particularly students. And this is especially relevant to the Bay Area because at once we are the Silicon Valley tech capital of at least the United States, if not the world. Um, and at the same time, we have stark income inequality and resource inequity. And so Bridging Tech is aiming to bridge those two worlds um, by providing laptops and Wi-Fi connectivity to students and shelters. Wow, that is, well, first, it's quite a mouthful, but secondly, that's an amazing you know, project and mission to, to work on. And it seems like you've done incredible work already. That's kind of why I thought you'd be a great guest. Um, but one of the things that I want to kind of dig into is the digital divide that you mentioned. And to clarify, it's, it is the fact that people who experience homelessness don't have the required materials that other people their age or people who are looking to get into the job force might have. And so Bridging Tech aims to ensure that those people have the required laptops, Wi-Fi, et cetera. Was that correct? Yeah, spot on. Cool. So one of the things that I thought is super interesting is that you are not the first person, of course, to see like the homelessness crisis in San Francisco or San Mateo or, you know, anywhere in California for that matter. What is the thing that pushed you to say, I'm going to be the person who, like, who tries to solve this, or tries to help out those people? Well, I think there are a combination of factors. The main one that stands out to me is working at a woman's shelter in Palo Alto right up to the pandemic, like leading up to it. And uh, that was the first experience that I had had in the homelessness space where I felt really connected to individual people. I had worked in Stanford's ER before um, in the low priority wing, which as some people might know, emergency rooms in America are hubs for and safe havens for homelessness. Um, people will come in for the night, uh, oftentimes without an acute medical need, because they need somewhere to stay, um, sure. you know, and are afflicted by a variety of other like social conditions. Um, but I was working at the shelter where I, I ate and dined and prepared dinner with the same woman twice a week for you know, four months. Um, and when 
COVID hit and stores, this was like the really like acute intense phase of COVID where like Starbucks was closing and just like all of these chains were closing and everything was closing down. One of the key um, worries that some of these women had were where am I going to like go on my phone? Like where am I going to access the internet? Because they would always go to Starbucks to like use Wi-Fi and like they need their phones for everything we need our phones for, like applying to jobs, checking on their like veterans benefits, like connecting with their like social worker. Like there's just a lot that they have to do on their mobile phones too. And suddenly like they don't have um, the capacity to do that because there wasn't consistent Wi-Fi at this shelter. That's a better question as to why that was true, like not enough funding. Um, And so that's where I saw it like affecting someone's life, like in real time, in addition to just like concerns over like how COVID would affect them as housing unstable people who like don't have like the basic necessities and even less like the ability to protect themselves against this infectious disease um, in public spaces and stuff. So then I ended up collaborating with this classmate of mine that I knew from a dorm at Stanford. Um, and she had done a lot of work on like technology equity through her major, which is symbolic systems at Stanford. It's a very funny name, but it combines like a okay. lot of different fields into one, like linguistics, computer science, philosophy, things like that. And we just started out small and wanted to identify a shelter in San Francisco called Hamilton Families. Um, but that had like a digital divide and or, uh, had like an acute need for digital resources. And we wanted to figure out like, okay, like how is this affecting families? How can we help you in the short term? And they told us a little bit about their need, which was 300 families were living there and nobody had a computer and libraries were shut down. Wow. Kids like couldn't go to the public library and like use the computer. Parents like had very like in and out job situations. So that's sort of where we saw it in real time and decided to move forward from there. That is, that's pretty intense. I don't know that like in, in the US there's at least like people like you and me who who have ever seen like 300 people without a computer kind of sounds or like a digital device sounds like it just shouldn't be possible in today's age. So yeah, there's, there's so much technology to go around, but I, I mean, obviously it is possible. And I think that even starting with like that one group and now you've expanded to shelters across the country, like that's a huge boost to anyone who gets like a device that you give them. So for like big, big thanks and like props to you for doing that. I think it just, it's so important. Yeah, I mean, I think you point out something really interesting there is just like, it's unimaginable to many of us. There's just so much about this crisis that like we don't see yeah. or like pay that much attention to, which yeah. has just been like one of the greatest takeaways from this whole experience. So, yeah. Thanks for is taking anything, an interest in it. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm more than happy to. Like I, you know, I live in Chicago and the homeless crisis like exists here too, but in Chicago is at least from what I've seen, like just driving around the streets and like just noticing things, there's such a divide between the north and south side of Chicago that like if you live on the north side, which is, you know, so many great things, but you won't see, you know, how bad maybe the homeless situation is or how how many people experience homelessness because they're all on the south side and people have the stigma of like south side Chicago. Like when I moved here, people told me just to never even go there. 
So I would never have seen, like, had I not wanted to go to, like, Chinatown or something and visit. I just, you know, just noticed. It's something everyone knows exists, but people don't take that much of an interest in. Um, could you tell us the hardest thing about getting started? So when you go to the shelter, Hamilton Shelter in San Francisco? What was Hamilton the name of Families, it? yeah. Hamilton Families in San Francisco. And they tell you that we have, you know, 300 people, none of them have any digital devices, and you're like, holy shit, that's a ridiculous number. How do you go about getting devices for them? What's the challenge behind that? Um, yeah, can you just take me through that? Yeah. I think, again, <laughs> the, like, greatest learning I had from this was how simple it was to do. Like, without diminishing it as, like, you know, it was an extremely easy task, but like anybody really could have the tools to get this done if, as sure. long as, you know, they had like basic like skills in terms of like learning how to use Weebly, like a, a website builder and like knowing how to put together a GoFundMe page. Like once you have those basic things down, like it's in anybody's hands, like anybody could have done what we've done. Um, and we essentially just wanted to fundraise, like just reach out to the community, figure out like how we can raise enough money to just buy computers. We weren't very like systemized about how we were going to get access to a lot of computers. We were just going to buy them on like Best Buy or something, trying to find the yeah. best deal. Um, and we had a lot of privilege in the way that we did it because we are in the Bay Area and have access to this extended like network of Stanford alumni, many of whom who've settled in the Bay and like know this is an issue. So in terms of like resource allocation, we were extremely lucky. Like if we hadn't been in this position that we were also like having this title of like two women founders from Stanford, which like helped a lot just in terms of like the marketing of the whole nonprofit. Yeah. Like, I don't know if we would have been able to do what we had done so fast given our skill sets, but in terms of just like what we actually ourselves did and in terms of finding shelters to reach out to building a website, building a GoFundMe page, and then just like sending uh, fundraising emails and having conversations with different people who might take an interest in our cause. I think anybody really is capable of doing that. Um, and yeah, we just tried to con convince other people that this was just as important um, to them as it was to us. And that's very easy. Like a lot of people know that homelessness is a huge issue and like wanted to to be the first to help out. And we also were in a very unique position in terms of not actually having to um, support families affected by homelessness on a day-to-day -day basis. We were just like providing sure. them computers. Like the real weightlifters here are like the shelters who like have all the infrastructure, all the social working resources, like everything required for families to live in their transitional housing for like upwards of like three to four months and are like really yeah. there seeing them on a day-to-day -day basis. Like they provide all the technology support if anything goes wrong, like they, do a lot and like I think Bridging Tech was helpful because we started to like tell our networks a little bit more about these shelters too and like that I think was a mutual mutually beneficial relationship like they get more Bay Area support we get to help them with computers and um, you know they're great to work with so um, yeah like going a little bit like off track here but uh, that's okay the challenges were like I think developing a little bit of the infrastructure to make it more efficient down the line. Like we didn't want to just keep buying computers at Best Buy because 
that wasn't the best deal and also wasn't that sustainable. Like we started thinking like, okay, if we're going to start sending like hundreds of computers to shelters, how do we make them like recycled? How do we like make this whole initiative a little more um, sustainable? So that's when we started to partner with refurbishers and that requires like creating official partnerships and figuring out like what both parties can get out of a particular arrangement. And we ended yeah. up working very closely with a refurbisher called Computers to Kids in San Diego, and, and they have helped us a lot with their laptop shipments. That's fantastic. Um, <laughs> it sounds like you, well, yeah, fantastic is like minimizing what it is, but like that's the, the shortest way I can say that. No, totally. um, It sounds like you are, or you and, and Bridging Tech are a catalyst, which arguably is better than being like a single donor or a single volunteer and, and way more important because like you said, everyone knows that there is a homelessness crisis in the Bay Area, even if we just stick to that one pod. But the fact that someone else, you know, someone's going out of their way to do something about it and has, you know, the extended network to really get people involved, like that's a pretty big deal because anyone can go and volunteer and, you know, make, make their difference that way. But to do it, like to put it in techie words, like at scale is the important thing and the way to help out the most. And yeah, I, go ahead. I would, I would disagree though, like just up front okay. because I think like not enough people volunteer because they don't find like the time to. And like sure. the only difference I think with what we've done is that we like were students and had all this time to devote to like building a nonprofit. And that just yeah. at the time, yeah, felt like the most efficient way to do it. And I come across a lot of people who tell me like, oh, like, that's awesome that you're in the social impact space. Like, once I finish my job in finance, then I'm going to, like, you know, go it. into this it. space. Or, like, you know, later on, like, when my work, like, lightens up, I'm, I'm going to volunteer. And I think, like, all of that impact is important. It's just about, like, really creating the space for it in your own life. Like, we were students and so had all this extra time to build an organization. But, like, yeah. I think working professionals, like, students with, like, more of a course load than we had like anybody can really make a difference in like through one two hours a week you know like it's it's in everybody's get, like court <laughs> i i agree and you know i've experienced this myself where you think you don't have enough time or work's taking over too much of your life and you just don't maybe have the required hours that you want to give back and it's just like a it's a momentum issue i think um but in your experience talking to folks have have they all said that or most of them said that they're going to do it after you know they're done with their finance job and they're going to do it in their 30s 40s 50s or are they just not sure like of how to find a place to volunteer or they they are scared of like going into somewhere new what's that how, how can someone overcome that because like you said it's an hour or two hours a week that would make a difference but how do you think someone can can push themselves to do that yeah like that's a great question that you raise. Um, I think that it is like the lack of routine, like having something in your life that you regularly turn to um, and also figuring out like where to start. And I think most people who volunteer will tell you it's like the best experience ever because you like are at once, you know, getting to know people from different backgrounds than yourself and also people from similar backgrounds because there's a whole like community around volunteering uh and also you're like getting out of your own 
professional space for a little bit every week and like it, it's a it's an awesome feeling um I really felt that a lot when I was volunteering at the shelter in, in Palo Alto um but yeah like where do you start like I, in New York I think I know someone working at Planned Parenthood like on Saturday mornings you know but like otherwise like if you're not like in the know about a lot of these nonprofits, it's hard to find there is great resources like volunteer match online that like can localize you to your area and, and show you opportunities um, that are available. And that's how we find a lot of bridging text volunteers is through like sure. services like that. Even like LinkedIn sometimes um, is a good way to find positions. Um, and then otherwise, like sometimes just walking into like the Salvation Army and like presenting yourself and seeing if there's any way to help, like is a good way to go about it. But yes, I think that people, like in, you know, the like corporate world maybe don't see as much like what's available for them to do on their off time in the nonprofit space, which is normal. Like there's just not that much information. Yeah, fair enough. Um, would you encourage people to, to kind of, in, in a way of getting out of their, you know, day-to-day -day routine, would you encourage them to like think of volunteer opportunities that, are in line with their own interests and give, I'll give you an example. Uh, when I was in college, like I, um, I volunteered at, or was an intern at the UC Davis, like horse barn, because I just like horses. And then I literally, or someone in my fraternity or, or friend group, whatever, just Googled like volunteer opportunities and came back with a list. And one of them was, um, volunteering at a therapeutic riding center that like did off track rehabilitation. And I was like, that's like probably the best thing for me because the, the, there's a bunch of ways to give back, but like for me, the, the barrier to entry is lower because I was already an intern and working with horses and like I found something. So would you say that people can just Google like, I don't know, math volunteer opportunities or like, I don't know, gardening opportunities. Like if you like to garden or if you like to, whatever it is, just Google it and volunteer opportunities and that hopefully something comes up. And yeah, I, I mean, like, some of these, like Volunteer Match, for example, is such a good search engine. Like, okay, it, like it responds to keywords, and and like what we love about volunteers is sustainability and like long term commitment, right? Like, it's yeah. it's hard at Bridging Tech, for example, when we have volunteers come in for like a month at a time because you spend a lot of time like training volunteers yeah. on like what to do. Um, so like the more you like a particular field and the more you identify with it, the longer you'll stay, which like benefits everybody. And then that's not to say that some organizations don't love short term, like volunteers. Like right. I think more like, I don't know, physical service, like, you know, working at food banks or clothing drives, things like that are, are good for temporary positions. Like there's something out there for everybody. You just have sure. to look. Yeah, that, that makes sense. So, Go to volunteer match if you want to volunteer somewhere. It sounds like that's the best place. Or just, or yeah, if you can't do that, Google it somehow. Yeah. So I guess jump, jumping back to Bridging Tech, uh, what are you doing right now? How many cities? Um, you know, can you tell us a little bit about like the weekly operations? Uh, I, I know like when we chatted previously, you'd mentioned like a tutoring opportunity. Is that something that Bridging Tech does in all markets? Is it just specifically to like when we talk, tell me about that. So Bridging Tech right now is working in 24 shelters across 15 cities in America. 
which means we have partnerships with 15 shelters and we uh, or with 24 shelters and 24. we deliver laptops to those to those shelters um, so like they'll come to us with an updated need because obviously they're cycling through families all the time some of these are like shorter yep. transitional housing shelters um, and so yeah they'll have like you know 50 new families who need a laptop and we'll provide it for them um, you know bridging tech is really focused on making sure each student has their own permanent computer so that when yep. they leave a shelter they don't have to like leave it behind like they can take it with them wherever they go which is why like the need keeps um updating and which is great like we want students to have like that their their own device like it's it's very it's not like empowering it's not like a nice thing that we're doing it's just necessary in this day and age like to yeah. be a high school student and like have your own access to to a device and like know how to use it and um all the digital literacy surrounding like being able to to operate a computer um and then uh yeah so we work on that and then we have an education program too where um we have tutors from like a variety of universities mainly like duke and stanford who volunteer their time and they tutor students in academic subjects and a lot of these students end up being from underserved backgrounds not all of them are from our shelter partners but some of them are um and yeah so there's tutoring opportunities available through this service like we love anybody with any expertise um, to come help students out and develop that one-on-one -on -one relationship with them we prefer in-person tutoring opportunities which is great because we're in lots of cities around the country but we also yeah. um, do zoom tutoring and stuff so wow zoom zoom tutoring i did i had a lot of people help me when i was growing up and i can't imagine like yeah, I can't imagine doing it any any other way than in person. I think that's the best. And I think it's great that you offer that opportunity to people who want to volunteer. Uh, why Duke and Stanford? Just network-based? Or that network those are the smartest We're people, really... you know? No, oh my gosh, no, not at all. <laughs> network-based. <laughs> we had a volunteer from Duke who, like, really helped us build that network. No, we take everybody from everywhere. <laughs> Fair enough, yeah. Not, not just the... Uh, What's the word? The coastal elite schools. Yeah, no, not and, just the coastal it, elite school. In fact, people who are like from schools that are in the cities that we actually work is even better. Like, again, we want that in-person connection. We trust that everybody is going to be a subject matter expert in what they claim to be. And um, we just want to support our students and also give them like um, exposure. Like it's it's sure. We, we want to encourage students to look into opportunities that they might be interested in. Like not college is not for everybody, but it might be for that student. And we want to give them at least like the opportunity to know somebody who's like pursuing that path and like who can advise on it. Um, I'll say one other part of our education mentoring system is um, we have like corporate mentors. So a couple companies have reached out to us like wanting employee engagement opportunities. Um, and yeah, we take like academic subject tutors, but we also take like general like career mentors, like people who want to like meet with students once a week, once every two weeks and like walk them through different career options um, or even like lead a book club with the student or just like develop a relationship with them, um, yeah. sort of like a big buddy system. Uh, we also have that option available for those who don't want to tutor academically. 
Okay, so there's no shortage of ways to help with bridging tech. And I think you just covered like every part of a, you know, not a reg like a regular person's career. Like you're either in your career and you can be a mentor, you are some subject matter expert in your life, so you can be a tutor, or, you know, there's some other way to reach out to and help the students in the community. Yeah, and I'll, I'll leave our email in this chat too. So if you ever are interested in volunteering, you can just email us directly. And all we'll the stuff will be, yeah, all the stuff will be in show notes. Volunteermatch.com, the Bridging Tech website, the uh, the email, whatever you want will be in the show notes. Perfect. Um, okay, so switching gears and, and maybe taking a step back to some more like general questions. So now Bridging Tech is a is a full blown nonprofit, and you've gra you know gone from just like a GoFundMe to help. Uh, shelters in San Francisco and California. It's like a real website and you have a board and you have tons of volunteers. Um, maybe this whole, you know, situation went perfectly when you started and to how you arrived here, but are there any mistakes that you made and how, you know, would you improve on them for anyone who wants to start a nonprofit? Like what would you say or suggest that they do differently from what you did? 100%. There is so much. We made so many mistakes. Like this was not just a smooth sailing operation. Um, I think one of the biggest uh, mistakes that we made in the beginning was not being certain enough in our own vision and subsequently allowing funders to sort of change and edit like what we were working on. Um, sure. And this is a common issue in the nonprofit space. Like nonprofits, organizations, charities, they have to cater what they're working on to fit and comply with philanthropy or grant making foundations, grant making priorities. Um, yeah. And so since we were like a small nonprofit coming out of like the Bay Area, we were looking into a lot of like incubators, like there's a lot of like Y Combinators for like small nonprofits, but all of that like required us to like start building this other arm of bridging tech that was going to like create a revenue stream that was going to like be like appealing to investors. I don't know. It was just mm -hmm. like, there was like stuff that we started working on that we don't do anymore because it didn't work. And like, it wasn't like core and central to our own mission. Um, yeah. And I think that the advice I would give people who are starting is like consult everybody you need to consult, like really like get all of the advice, all the mentorship you need to like nail down, like your plan, your mission statement, like your immediate and like three year plan and then stick to it. And if it grows through like along the way and like it pivots, like that's totally fine, but you need to have some sort of concrete vision. Otherwise it's going to get too confusing, too broad. And at the end of the day, like the best and most effective nonprofits are those that focus on a very precise like problem and they yeah. throw all of their resources and energy at solving that problem. And then if you end up getting more funding and more capacity through like a bigger staff, then totally like expand however you want. But I think we were overly ambitious in the beginning, sure. which like, I think, you know, it's fine. We learned from it, but it's not the way that we could have impacted students the most efficiently, I think. So that's what I would say is like, start small, prove your impact there. And that in and of itself is going to make you more attractive to funders and like allow you to expand. However, if like you do too much and not enough at the same time, you know, like you're too spread thin, I think it can work against you. 
So that's what I would say was like probably the biggest thing that we learned up at the very start. <laughs> yeah, stick to your stick to your core and try and solve your problem. Um, how did you get funded? Are you like looking at connections through Stanford? Are you like, did you choose to go to grant, um, grant writing, grant giving uh, organizations? I don't even know the terminology to be honest, but tell me about that story. Yeah, totally. It's a great question. And I like how precise you are with these questions because I, I think it really will hopefully give some ideas to other people. Um, we tried a variety of mechanisms. Like one in the beginning was GoFundMe. Like how do we reach out to our local community mm -hmm. and see who's interested? And again, like that came with a lot of privilege, like being in a wealthy area, like going to school in this wealthy area that like people were, were willing to give to. But that definitely like was not and has not been like the primary way that we've fundraised throughout like the history of our organization. Um, we actually ended up turning to companies and like sm smaller grant making organizations, smaller family foundations, smaller charities to see like if they could support us in any way. So like middle sized biotech companies randomly ended up being like a great source mm. of laptops for us. So we would just get like used computers directly from them and then refurbish them and donate them to, to students. So that wasn't even like a monetary donation. That was like an in-kind physical donation we could get that like benefited them because they have to recycle their computers every three years and then we needed them because they were perfectly great computers that we could just fix up so that's one nice. way yeah family foundations just like contacting whoever you can and like pitching your case really well like we would just email the like general media contact at these foundations or like there's like a contact general like information email and we and sometimes you know we would get a response so like you have to shoot your shot um in that respect and see like what turns up and then what else like yeah like applying on some foundation portals like looking at like okay costco the costco foundation like let's submit a grant we sure. were not effective or like successful with those in the beginning because unfortunately they are catered towards bigger philanthropies um or bigger charities like people that are more established which is why going to like smaller funders like family foundations like small like startup initiatives that like are looking at funding like smaller entities is mm -hmm. an effective strategy and then the last thing i would say is like we were lucky enough to be featured on the news and like that was probably like the biggest fundraising push we could have ever had like and that happened because we reached out to writers like everywhere like TechCrunch, like small like local bay area news like we wanted anybody to pick up our story because once that happens yeah. like a larger news outlet is going to identify you and produce a story like everybody is just trying to get a story out there as like filler time especially sure. during the holidays like you know you you might not think you're an interesting like story for the news but you might be like and and a lot of people will take interest in you and learn about your organization through that outlet obviously so that was helpful too wow so there's some really concrete advice in there and like the underlying theme is just go for it like there's no harm in writing to all these people worse comes worse nothing happens right just totally. write to them see if someone picks it up and just be ready to run from there and also one more thing I'll add is partnerships. Like I cannot understate or overstate the value of partnerships. Like sure. a lot of us want to make our own impact and like 
you know, carve out a slice of this, of like the nonprofit sector and like we want to claim it, but really like other people might be doing what you're already doing in a different place yeah. and you could just like merge or like get their advice and see how you can like collaborate to, to make a bigger impact. And, and I, I think like there's a lot, a lot of small, tiny nonprofits that are kind of doing the exact same thing all over the place. And so sure. try to find that person and see like whether you guys can can join forces and, and ultimately probably make a bigger impact in that way. We noticed that like in the beginning in the Bay Area, like there's a great nonprofit called Shelter Tech that was already doing a ton to install Wi-Fi in San Francisco Bay shelters. And so we were like, okay, we're not gonna reinvent the wheel here. We're just gonna work with you to help yeah. us like with our existing shelter partners, you know? So like just okay. trying to collaborate as much as you can because like that's ultimately how like I think the most effective service gets accomplished. Sure. Would another example of that kind of partnership be Computers for Kids in San Diego where you just... Another great one. Okay. Rahul's done his research. Totally. They're a, a well, you, certified... You mentioned it earlier. <laughs> that, so if you count that as research. So yeah. <laughs> we have a good memory. Um, yeah, they're a certified refurbisher. And then the beginning we were like, how are we going to... These like, you know college students who don't know that much about like hardware going to refurbish these computers and we just figured like why don't we work with like a certified like factory literally that like yeah. refurbishes computers all the time and and they work with nonprofits like us um very frequently so yes finding partnerships will make your job a lot easier amazing wow there's there's been a lot in this uh, in this chat so far, and I'm really you know I'll just say it up front, grateful that you know you're willing to share what you're working on, and just grateful for what Bridging Tech's doing. I think, uh, admittedly, it's kind of a new realization for me, but I guess everyone has to start somewhere. Yeah, yeah, no, one hundred percent. So I'd like uh, listeners to learn a little bit more about you. In the in the beginning, you mentioned that you know you grew up in the Bay Area, went to Stanford, um, but you are at Bridging Tech, and you also have another job because you live in New York. And can you tell us a little bit about what that other job is and how you managed to balance the responsibilities between Bridging Tech and other work? Totally. Um, so I work at a wonderful nonprofit called Saving Mothers in New York City, and they work on maternal mortality prevention in New York City, in Kenya, in Guatemala, and the Dominican Republic. And I essentially help them with anything from research to daily operations and, and grant making and grant writing. Um, so I think the balance that I've been able to strike at this point is just like approaching Bridging Tech like uh, another sort of nonprofit charitable after work commitment. Um, I don't devote as many hours to Bridging Tech as I used to because we've recently onboarded some more like full-time support um mm -hmm. but i will say that when i was in school i did do the like pretty full-time bridging tech thing and w was at school at the same time and yeah. it's a challenge and it's hard to balance but i think the the key takeaway from it all was establishing your boundaries like you know if you need to devote six hours a day to something that's not your job you can do it but you need to like like it create very a very strict schedule about like when you're going to fit that time in and also like be uh, very intentional about like the time that you're not spending 
at Bridging Tech, like for example, I would like be at school like in Zoom class and then see emails coming through for my nonprofit and then would be like urged to to respond to them like sure. right away. And that's not like productive. You're not focused on bridging tech. You're not focused on school. Like you're trying to do everything at once. So establishing boundaries, establishing like very clear like time windows when I would work on each was like the way that I think I, I could be most productive. Um, and also my board member, Mike Gafari actually taught us this advice. He's um, uh, like a VC guy in the Bay Area, but has thought a lot about time management. He talks a lot mm -hmm. about like proactive versus reactive time. So um, proactive time is like, you know, getting this task that you've been needing to do all week done, like sending that email, like, um, I don't know, doing this research that you wanted to do. Reactive time is like meetings, phone calls, like where people like need things from you or you're, you're just kind of checking in, like responding to emails. Um, and all of that like is a little bit easier, right? It's like filler time. It's like, it's still doing your job, but like not actually like, you know, getting what your to-do list done. And yeah. he was like, segment your day into reactive and proactive time. Like he only checks his emails, I think between like five and 6 PM at night. So that like the rest of the day, you know, he can really focus on like what he needs to get done and not confusing those two because otherwise you'll, you'll be less efficient. So those are just like some of the tools I've picked up. I don't practice them perfectly. Um, but yeah, establishing boundaries is important. Boundaries. Got it. Okay. So you have spent a lot of time in California um, at Stanford and you have obviously, as we've all just heard, uh, spent a lot of time helping a variety of people, whether it's in New York or it's in, um, you know, in California or whatever the, you know, 24 shelters in 15 cities. Is that what I heard? Okay, perfect. Very good. Um, <laughs> so lots of help, um, that you've done for, for other people, I think is my, my bottom line. Um, what is going to be next for you? Are you looking for, like saving mothers to be uh, like a, I mean, longer than, you know, three, four five years. Are you looking for like bridging tech to eventually become back and be full time? What's the plan? How are you going to continue to help people? I guess is, it seems like that's the trajectory you're going down. So I'd love yeah. to hear more about that. Totally. Um, well, I hope to go to medical school eventually. And I think, as you mentioned, like helping people, I think has been a consistent theme throughout my undergrad. Like, I think everybody ultimately wants to help people, but I think yeah. doing it through the health space is something that I've always been interested in. I think there's a lot of ways that we can um, impact people as, as doctors, like on a one-on-one -on -one basis, but like also thinking about the public health system and how like we can apply like clinical expertise to just like making systems more efficient, especially when it comes to working in under-resourced areas. Um, and I think that sort of systems level thinking is what I've tried to apply to bridging tech work too. Like yeah. instead of donating one laptop to one student one time, like how do we scale the, the um, organization as you mentioned? Um, so yeah, I hope to, I hope to be a doctor and hopefully help people that way. But I also, um, I hope to continue volunteering my time with Saving Mothers throughout medical school. I think like they do amazing work and um, again, there's so many nonprofits out there and like there's so many nonprofits that want part-time volunteers to help them with like a variety of tasks. So I, I want to yeah. keep up that work. And then as for Bridging Tech, I think we're hoping um, to, you know, pass the baton off to somebody else very soon. Um, 
hopefully they can help us grow the organization and have it become bigger and bigger. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll always have it in my heart and hopefully always like, you know, serve as an advisory person for that organization. But I don't think it'll continue to be part of like my my day to day life after after the summer. So. Sadly. Fair enough. Yeah, it sounds like. <laughs> well, I think, you know, in the process of going to, to medical school, there is a, you know, like you were saying about setting boundaries, like you need to be in medical school, like need to make sure that you learn everything that you possibly can so that when you're out, like you have like the most reach and the most ability and the most knowledge to help people that way. And like if you are doing a hundred things at once, you, you know, it's really tough to be good at all of them. So I don't think it's well, sad. I think, I think like, like even starting. But... Yeah. Go and ahead. I think that's Go a ahead. great lesson to people everywhere. Right. It's like your impact also might be greatest at a certain time and not always yeah. be like, the same right and like I don't think as a full-time student in medical school I would be able to give bridging tech all that it deserves and so also recognizing your own limits um even though you know like it's our baby and like we've done so much with it like that doesn't mean it's meant to be like under our jurisdiction say forever like we we definitely want somebody else to take on the leadership role and to and to take it new directions and it probably also needs some some fresh brain juices and some fresh ideas and and i think like that's a very healthy thing in, in the natural evolution of an organization so yeah i i completely agree i think uh yeah i'm not gonna say anything else i think you said it perfectly so we'll leave it at that i have kind of started doing this thing towards the end of the show where like People can ask me whatever questions they want about me. And if there's none, I'll just edit out this part and, and wrap something up. Um, but want to give you that opportunity. Uh, you asked a little bit in the, you know, before we started recording, but um, anything that I can like answer for you about uh, just life since we, I mean, we are obviously friends prior to talking about this, but totally. anything else that I'm, I can, that I can answer for you. Yeah. I'm interested in, um, your like work, hobby, social good, and personal life balance. Clearly you're creating this podcast, which I think is one of the most beautiful ways to connect people from all walks of life and also like promote philanthropies and promote nonprofits. And I don't know, like talk about different people's accomplishments, which is awesome. Um, have you always been like a hobbyist in that respect? Like trying to build projects um, or like, is this a, relatively new thing for you yeah that that's a good question so i you know prior to actually launching this podcast i had had the idea like in the back of my mind for a year like i had the name i had the direction i wanted to go i had you know my list i have a list of dream guests and i have you know one day like i just wrote like three or four pages of questions that i could ask anybody um and so that was always there and i i think i just needed like the time or the reflection in my own life to like realize that I have the ability to to do this and start it. And like the reality is like I had to learn a huge amount of new systems. Like I had never recorded on Riverside before, which is the, the recording uh, software. I had no idea how to like upload, edit, do any of that stuff. And it seemed like a huge barrier to entry for me. Um, and so one day I just, I just did it. And in terms of like, <clears throat> have I always been this kind of person? That, I think, uh, to kind of echo what you said, like it comes and goes in, in waves, 
like I did a lot of volunteering in college because I had the time. And then I got into the workforce and I was kind of focused on building my career. And in the last year or so, I, you know, haven't probably done as much good or volunteering as I could have. You know, some of that is like comes with work travel and like the consistency that you mentioned that like a lot of volunteer organizations want. Um, but also part of it is like me just not carving out the time and realizing that this is like I have this couple hours a week or a day or whatever it is to uh, to do that. And over the last year, through like reflecting on my life for really MBA applications, I realized that like some of the experiences that I enjoyed the most in college or shortly after were all like volunteer oriented experiences. So in college, I volunteered at therapeutic writing center for kids with autism and I didn't even do do a huge amount wow with the actual kids but like the people who ran the organization were a little bit older and not as strong so like I helped them build fences where they kept the horses and that you know is the way that I felt I could give back uh, because I don't have specific like uh, I didn't have specific special education or like training to work with kids with autism but everyone needs to keep the horses around they can't just have them running around everywhere um And, you know, I I volunteered, like, over Thanksgiving breaks at uh, Second Harvest Silicon Valley, which is just a food bank. And I was just, like, sorting food because that's the time that I had when I was home. Um, Totally. So I hope to, you know, get involved with Bridging Tech, as we've talked about, and also just, like, continue uh, volunteer opportunities as I go to business school because I will have more time. Yeah, 100%. That's awesome. Yeah. I also love, like, it's such an inspiring story, actually, Rahul, like, having an idea and then actually executing on it, like, and I think a lot of people wish they had more time or, like, wish they, you know, had all the knowledge they needed to just do something easily, and there's, like, a, there is a barrier to energy, or to entry, there's an activation energy barrier, actually, to, like, end up actually yeah. doing the things that you want to do and that you find cool in other people, and the fact that you were just, like, you're just, like, a guy, you're working, you're applying to business school, you're doing all these things a lot of people might be able to relate to, and then you just, like, did it and acted on your idea. I think it's so awesome. Um, And, you know, like, it it makes it feel possible for other people. No, but seriously. I I will say that it it is possible. Um, Like, Riverside has done a great job to make, like, podcasting or recording easy. Um, There's, like, weird things that you have to learn. But so, like I've been at my job for three and a half years and I love Zoom and love the people I work with. Um, but obviously there's a reason I'm applying to business school. Like I have to learn more and I have to polish all the things I've learned. Meaning that like, it's not that I've hit a plateau at Zoom, but I, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good at what I do, I'll say. And learning how to podcast and learning how to, to talk to people and formulate questions is another way that I thought that I'd, you know, become smarter at a minimum and, and at a maximum be able to talk to really cool people about the amazing things that they do. So, you know, why not, for me, why not take that extra opportunity and learn a little bit more at the same time? But it's been great so far. You're, my third guest will be my third published episode. Um, yeah, and all, yeah, not that this matters, but like all three have been really cool women so far. So maybe that trend will keep going. It's as much about who responds to me as it is, like, uh, who, who I reach out <laughs> right to. Right now. <laughs> yeah, right right now. Exactly. Exactly. That's awesome. Well, I can't wait to check out the other episodes and keep up with the channel. How off, What's the frequency at which you publish? 
hopefully bi-weekly. Awesome. Um, so it seemed like a manageable, like when I started this, I wanted to spend five hours a week on it. So an hour or so recording, couple hours editing, couple couple hours like troubleshooting the publishing process with like Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And I have five hours. I know I can dedicate it. So that's where I want it to be. And if it takes up more time, then hopefully that'll be a good thing and not just like sitting on support lines. And so tell us where to find you. You said you're on um, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It's T-Y-L-T. It's actually spelled out as tell people you love them. Yeah. I I had to shorten it somehow so that when I was like typing in emails or like, you know, I didn't have to write out all the words every time. Tell people you love them. All right. I'm following. And also, um, do you have an Instagram? Don't have an Instagram. I I have, uh, I'm kind of having a version to Instagram at the moment. It's a personal thing. Uh, I just like, I have an anonymous account that I post food pictures under. And I think I might leave it at that for a little bit. <laughs> All right. Well, I will at the very least share your podcast on my social media. I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, thank you for doing that. And before we finish, um, remind everyone where we can find Bridging Tech. What's the website, the email, how to get involved? So bridgingtech.org is our website if you'd like to learn more about what we do. Um, we have social media everywhere. <laughs> so Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, whatever you want at bridging tech. Very simple. Um, and then if you want to get involved, just feel free to email us personally. We'll respond to you within two days. Uh, contact at bridgingtech.org is uh, how you can do it. And nice. we really are looking for help. Anybody with any set of skills with some time off and or some, some free time, you know, we, we would love your support and there's a lot to be learned too like we hope that this can be as enriching for you as your help will be enriching for our organization so from everything i heard i think that it could be nothing less than that so thank you very much yeah no worries thanks uh thanks for chatting me and i think yeah like i said what you're doing is amazing there's so many opportunities for people out there to volunteer with uh, bridging tech as well as as well as any other organization that they feel like they can lend a hand to. So don't be afraid to volunteer, I think, is a, is a pretty, you know, pretty important thing to tell people, among everything else that's been said today. Well, thank you so much for having us, or having me, and having Bridging Tech you know, on your show. Um, and yeah, we look forward to keeping up with Tell People You Love Them in upcoming episodes. I appreciate it. Thank you very much, Margo.